Good people of Los Angeles. What's up? Welcome to another episode of the FCFC Pod. Tonight we got Slim. Tonight we got Josh. Tonight we got Ryan Wallerson. And we've got none other than El Presidente, Tom Penn. Hey. The president from Peoria, Illinois. The man who was on a swim team at Notre Dame. He's made his name known in sports around this country. He has come and grown this club and he has lost a share. He was a great guest, spent a lot of time with us. And if you've ever felt uninspired yourself, even after something beautiful you built was out there in the world growing, listen to this podcast because there's always a way to get better. There's always a way to turn it up. There's another gear. Gear. We're looking to do that on season two of FCFC, and I know you're looking to do that with us. Slim, hit him with the warning. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the backyard of Dweez's place in Expo Park. There are helicopters flying, cars driving by, horns are honking. And as per usual, I do have a party mouth that do intend to use it. So if you're around children or you're at work where you shouldn't be listening to profanity, there's a good time to stop, like right about now. We had a tequila with a bell on it. Classe is all, you bitch! We drinking out here! We classy! Pinkies up, motherfucker! FCFC. Welcome to the FCFC pod, where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. I'm your favorite fat Korean, Slim, as usual in the backyard. Sitting across from me is Big Dweez. Yep. To my left is Josh Sexy Spice. I'm here. And to my right, a special host today is, uh, you guys know who he is, Mr. Ryan Wallerson is in the backyard. Happy 2020, (laughs) y'all. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest. Um, I've called uh, Richard Roscoe the OG. I've called uh, Larry Friedman the shot caller. And this is the guy who, unless you're really with the shits, you're never going to meet. The the, the the triple OG of the, the system, <laughs> Mr. Tom Penn is in the backyard. Yeah. Hey, the greatest privilege in my life. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. We went a little hard today. Uh, we heard that that Tom's a tequila guy, so we, we're uh, back here with the Class A Azul today. Yeah. If you guys don't know what that is, it's because uh, you're broke. <laughs> it's at the top. Hey, it's, I, it's on the top shelf at your favorite bar. I didn't know that there was a bell on top. There's I've seen this bottle, and then Slim starts ringing this bell, and I was like, "Okay, what's going a little, on?" Little here? tricks of the trade. Uh, let, let's kick it off like we usually do, Dweez. So the classic question we start with Tom yes. is the oldest football memory that you have, the oldest soccer memory. Doesn't have to be playing. Doesn't have to be watching. Remember the first your first encounter with the game. It goes to playing. I just flash back to the. Mean streets of Peoria, Illinois, where I grew up. Hey. Actually, on the field, I played as a kid like everybody else. I was wearing a light blue uniform kit. I was pretty good. I was a pretty good little athlete at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember getting the satisfaction of that and running wild out there and just having a blast. 
Um, Do you remember pro- which position you played? Right, right. No. <laughs> There's no real positions at that age. You see at the ball age, and you, you run after the ball. You run. Yeah, probably, I'm feeling like I was eight or nine years yeah. old. Right. You know, one of those. Mm-hmm. I know I was somewhere in the back because I was fat, and that's where they put all the fat kids. <laughs> goalie, <laughs> goalie. I was still not jumping and stuff. So they didn't put me there. <laughs> back line. That was when my career peaked, though. I think mm. a year or two later, because I didn't play beyond that. Mm. But you were playing all sports. You were a sports kid. Yeah, I was sort of seasonal sports kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at what point did you know how how deep into your childhood did sports become kind of a a big deal to you? Well, I swam in college, so I was, and then I coached in law school, so I was. I don't know if you call that a sport. But, uh, of course, I, was, uh, I swam I as well. It. What was your What was your stroke? Yeah, I went into school as a sprinter. I walked on in college and then barely made the team. And then I ended up flipping a breaststroke, and I thought I was good at breaststroke. Yeah, that's right. And weird. I swam IM and breaststroke, and then I came back to sprint in my senior year. So. Oh, that was great. It's great. I always say the heavy cardio. Yep, the defining day of my life um, was the day I made the Notre Dame swim team because. Just put me on a totally different trajectory, uh-huh. different course, you know, with different group of friends, uh-huh. different sort of challenge, and then inherent self confidence that came from it. And, you know, you just work your ass off when you're in that sport. Um, and then I coached, as I said, when I went to law school. Mm-hmm. So I had this affiliation with athletics all the way through till I started my young professional career. Mm-hmm. Were your folks big sports people? No, they, I mean they were supportive. They didn't. They didn't play. Of course, you know, different generation. Um, but they were always supportive of it, and so it was always a part, you know, of my life. I played two sports in, co- in high school, and then when you when you get to college and your your uh, experience there gets shaped by that mm-hmm. because you're so freaking busy and you work your tail off in this different way that. Mm-hmm. Uh, college has a lot of free time that gets filled up, but that all collapses. Um, so that was a game changer as far as the experience, you know, when you really start kind of growing up. So yeah. what's the vibe as a Notre Dame athlete like? I mean, we've we've seen movies about it. We've seen countless articles written Rude. about it. But you lived you lived it as a, as a yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah, it was cool. Oh, man. It was cool. They, uh, you know, we won the national championship my junior year. So Lou yeah. Holtz's first four years as the coach mm-hmm. were my first four years at school there. Wow. Oh, wow. So it was that era. So his year three was the year that they won it. Um, they won it for you, Tom. They won it for you, Tom. That was right there. It's, <laughs> it was fun as shit. I'll tell you that. Yeah, when the college football team at that caliber is doing well, your school is having a lot more fun. Yeah, than I know exactly what's going on at LSU right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You can't get into it because he has a PR department. And <laughs> I don't know. Give us a little taste, Tommy. Put yourself in the in the boots of, of the athletic department at LSU, of the kids and the students at LSU right now. What kind of euphoria are they feeling, um, just in terms of putting yourself in that mindset? I can only speak to the euphoria of the student body. You know, I was yeah, just yeah. a fan, and you know how vested you are with your school. Mm. That's what I love about football. Is there's that same level of passion it's, it's probably the only thing outside of college sports that has that in america in my yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally agree that the, and for the rest of the world you get why they identify so much with their club because mm-hmm. they don't have that possibility of a college experience with sports so there was that just amount of pride and then mm-hmm. um 
and just the permission to go crazy <laughs> at that age. You know, we were we were actually on a swim team training trip in Long Beach that year, and we won it at the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix. Mm. So we all flew over, took a break from our double sessions every day, and just went crazy for, you know, 24, 48 hours. Wow. Would you say that was your first away day, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> Fiesta Bowl, Arizona, baby, let's go. Uh, Wait, good for the national chip. Josh, you were at Syracuse, right? So that's yep. a big, that's big sports. Did you do like big away trips or anything like that? Um, we we traveled to the Big East, yeah. So everything in the in the East Coast is, re- I mean, relatively reachable in, in that regard, yeah. But I never made the big um, like Final Four trip. They went to Atlanta my senior year, and uh, we just like could not. Is that Carmelo's year? No, no, it was a little after that. It was um, it was uh, Mike Mike Carter Williams. That, Shout that out Carmelo. Yeah, shout out Carmelo. This is a Carmelo loving podcast right here. Is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We love we love Carmelo on this podcast. Guys. East Coast uh, right here. We got we got Brooklyn and New Jersey over here. Wow. Right here. Oh, right. it's loving it, loving, loving. <laughs> but you know, you feel it's a, it's it is the permission is really interesting because there is this kind of um, the entire city is there for the students in in a certain sense, right? And so when there's something good happening to the student body, especially through football, basketball, then the students kind of take reign over it and take take over it, and it's. Imagine you know twenty one year olds doing doing what they want to do in this yeah, city. Well, they're not twenty one when they're doing all that shit. Yeah. <laughs> nasty little kids. Hey, get in your books, you nasty little kids. Allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> Nineteen is a weird age in America, especially if you go to college. I did my first year at Penn State, and then I transferred back to City College for uh-huh. the remainder of my undergrad. But I would travel out, so these were my first away days. Travel back to State College to attend whiteouts and Ohio State games. Mm. And let's face it, Penn State lost most of those. Sure. But the rare victorious occasion, especially over Ohio State, I mean, State College is a town in the geographical center of Pennsylvania, mm. literally existing to house this university. Oh, for sure. So A lot, a lot of towns like that. It gets taken over, man. Like, yeah. That, that, was, that is easily the most intense sporting support of sporting experience I have outside of football and for people who are so ingrained in like the NFL and the NBA and don't understand how states can exist without pro teams if if you're bought into your collegiate program it can can be all you need takes up the whole fall you know it's a same rhythm of as our football it's Mm -hmm. once a week you know and it just you it's manageable and then it's so particularly if you travel like we would travel to michigan michigan state we'd get rvs yeah. and we'd pack them with all the swim team guys and just go on purdue you know anything that was sort of in the neighborhood yeah yeah, yeah. um big neighborhood yeah then we got to where we were playing games in chicago so you'd roll into chicago for a special game and, and it takes that whole semester and then when you win there's the uh, halo effect after it right mm-hmm. kind of carries over right? and so, uh so, no, I was going to say, I mean, the other part of college sports I feel like that other professional sports don't have in America is, like, legends and heroes that go, like, generational. I know we have a little bit of that, right? You can taste it a little bit, but, like, I always got the sense. So I went to Loyola Marymount University, right? Mm. No sports history at all besides one very big story, which is, like, Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball, and all that. And that was just, like, it was permeated the whole campus yeah. at all times. And that yeah. happened, you know. 25 years or whatever before Late I was Late 80s, there. right? Yeah. I, actually, it was a, I think it was like nine, early 90s. Early 90s? Yeah, maybe, maybe 91, I want to say, or maybe 90. Um, so I, I just feel like 
you know, maybe it is the fact that an institution exists apart from the sports. There's no, like, Green Bay Packers University. I couldn't just, like, go to Packers school and then there'd be, like, Vince Lombardi things and Brett Favre things and, you know, all, all of that. Like, so it, it's almost like the university buttresses and churns out this, like, legend story that keeps, like, re- revealing itself to people, even if they're not participants. I didn't go to very many basketball games. Mm. I think they had, who was that funny dude that went to Gonzaga with the long hair? Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison. Adam mm. Morrison was like dropping. You just described points. a funny dude with long hair. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I got it. And I got it. This is the chemistry you find in FCSC, Tom. It's real, recognized, real. It's there's real, no, real. There's, yeah, there's no basketball uh, <laughs> knowledge on that side. Yeah, there's not. Um, but that was like the one game I went to. But you know what I mean? I was pretty plugged out, but I constantly knew about Hank Gathers and, yeah. you know, and, and everything that happened. So it's interesting as MLS grows, I'm curious to see. In what way? Because because world football is like that. Like mm-hmm. world football is like yeah. multi generational. Mm-hmm. It's like in the it's in like the soil <coughs> of the ground outside the stadium. The legends of these of these guys, you know, it's, it's everywhere there. Um, I'm interested to see MLS start to grow some of those. It's so early on. It's not multi generational yet, really. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, what I was gonna ask is, is your family like multi generational Midwestern? Like, are you guys in all your experiences growing up, everything was mostly like in the Midwest? Yeah. Um, and when did you start sort of like in terms of after college like venturing to, to bigger cities in the U.S. and seeing how the sports scenes worked there like how did that transition happen uh, well when I finished law school I wanted to do something sports related I always did so and I had struck out in my quest to get into the NBA right out of school mm-hmm. so I after failing as like an employee yeah, yeah, I just sent the letters out to all the... So what happened was, back in the day, you would write real letters, and then you would get a real... I heard about this. <laughs> Wild. So I went through that process. I, I had a, some friends that were associated with the NBA, and I had a couple interviews, but really, there weren't front office jobs, particularly legal jobs. And got a couple cursory interviews, and uh, just didn't work. So I went to be a trial attorney, and then started my own business on the side where I took these touring teams of Europe. So I went to Europe with guys that were looking to get jobs in basketball Hmm. overseas. And that was before the internet. So I took a bunch of VHS tapes in the bags and we took these guys and just like went on this little friendly tour and 10 guys got jobs. It kind of worked out. I had a little company after that. So that was my first foray out of the country in the name of sports. Mm. What was basketball? What the, yeah, what was basketball like in Europe at that time? Yeah, and what stops were on the tour? Uh, the first year we went to the Czech Republic, hey. which was interesting, and found the richest guy in the Czech Republic paid two of my guys, which was cool. They nice. stayed there and did well. Um, and we went to the Netherlands. The second year we went to Italy, which was a more of a premier market, mm. but we paid sort of a second tier tour down there um and uh but it was cool it it gave me something to be in the trenches on and it gave me a reason to be relevant a little bit relevant have something to talk about and it kind of gave me enough to get connected to basketball to where when a billionaire came out of nowhere and wanted to buy a team i had something to offer so we went and bought the vancouver grizzlies And then uh, transitioned into where I jumped in as the assistant GM of that new team up in Vancouver. Well, it was it was it wasn't a new team. We were new owners, and mm. we moved it to Memphis. Uh, okay. So that's how the Vancouver Grizzlies got from 
there to Memphis was we relocated that team a year after our owner bought them. Mm-hmm. Where was the owner from? Chicago. Okay, just randomly. Yes. Yeah. Did that help? The relocation? In terms of like the mu- the mutual Midwest affiliation for your personal relationship with the owner in terms of coming on. Like yeah, the- well, I met him through a guy from Chicago, so the mm. fact that I was in the neighborhood helped. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. But it, yeah. So go ahead. No, but it was really the relationship. Dick Versace is his name. He was an NBA head coach and mm-hmm. been on TNT, did the, the NBA show on TNT before Charles Barkley and those guys. <laughs> Dick was one of the mm-hmm. talking heads. and So he's a really, really great dude. And I owe my whole, a lot of my professional career to him because he gave me the shot. Gotcha. Yeah, how how long after after tra- sending out those letters, you know, this whole period passes where you want to go into the NBA, and now you're actually in the NBA in probably a much higher capacity than yeah. you would have expected? Seven years. Seven years. And why the NBA in the first place? Like, what made you want to join that? I had league? interest in that sport, and I had some relationships in that sport. Mm-hmm. And in Peoria, the smaller town where I grew up, there was a critical mass of talent coming out of there, too. Gotcha. So there was just a – I just – at the time, Dick Versace was a head coach in the NBA, mm-hmm. and he had been the head a major. He was college coach of the year at Bradley, and so I had inroads there, exposure to it, and sort of a passion around that. Gotcha. You're talking what, to a man who recently started working for the LA Clippers, right here. Yeah, He's just curious I'm, about NBA. Things. How's it going? It's uh, it's it's going well. It's going well. I think um, super. Everyone's super rejuvenated by you know the ownership and kind of uh they just picked up a lot of awards from the nba about you know front uh, back office staff you know which is uh, i'm in marketing there but um cool. you know i think it's I, I it's cool to be finally in an industry where everyone just breathes basketball right like or just sports in general and so i think my big thing when i see my coworkers and even talking to you is just like was basketball in your lifeblood like is that something that you wanted to talk to the same way that supporters are involved with football culture like it is you know religion to a certain point or to to to, to your like athletic kind of um, achievements before like what why was it basketball in particular it was my favorite sport to watch and i had the most connectivity to it Mm. Mm. in my hometown bradley university was like the only team they were like and they were when versace coached there they were top 10 in the country Mm. they went 32 they went 31 and 0 Mm. and then finished 32 and 3 so it was kind of a stumbled to the finish but it was like awesome hersey hawkins was there i got i knew him personally had some friendships in that area so Mm. that's just what i got exposed to gotcha and then uh it was the sport where i felt like i could have some impact Mm -hmm. so when you were going to law school you knew that you wanted to utilize law somehow for sports sort of in law school i ended up clerking at some big firms Mm. and it kind of (laughs) sucked so i knew i didn't want to do that so I finished that, and I felt like I wanted to be in sports, in particular in basketball, because it was my best avenue in. And then in my early professional career, you asked Alex how long did it take. It took seven years. And in that window of time, I studied the collective bargaining agreement. I read it cover to cover. I outlined it like it was a textbook. I think I still have that file, because it was just sort of, you know, why are you doing this? And it's like, well, maybe someday it'll come in handy. Yeah. So you know how the old adage, luck comes to those that are prepared for it, right? Mm -hmm. So I was prepared for the luck. Um, So it was was a bummer, man. When I struck out and failed, you know, I'm like, okay. And that's why I always tell people when they say, how do you get into sports? I say, well, you can try right away, but you got to angle towards it. I think 
for a lot of us and even probably a lot of listeners, like, Tom, they see you and they, they I mean, the first time I saw you was, like, when I was just fiendishly looking for anything LAFC related and then you came out on ESPN and I saw kind of you talking through what the club represents and what it means. Yeah. And so I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, it's wild to sit next to you right now and talk to you and for real, but do you feel like you're, you know, do you have this kind of romanticism, romanticism about, you know, club football, about, you know, we talked about college culture a little bit, but do you, do you, are you a romantic for the sports kind of genre and culture in general, you feel like? Oh, totally now. Yeah. I mean, this is so much richer than the NBA when it comes to uh, the textures of this and the romance of it and the beauty of the sport Mm -hmm. and the you know the intoxicating global nature of things all of it the whole the whole thing for me has been this slow steady personal evolution Mm -hmm. as the club evolved because I came in but the one reason I was maybe successful is I was honest with everybody about I didn't come in and try to pose like I was, um, you know, die in the wool football guy. Right. And so nobody held it against me. It was like the early supporters that I met with, you know, I went to the Timbers Army and I went into their clubhouse Mm. and asked questions. And I was just authentically vulnerable in terms of saying, look, guys, I don't know, but I want to learn. And what would you recommend? Could you help us? And, And so on and so forth. So I think. With the earliest members of the 3250, what became the 3252, you know, all those guys. Um, I think that, I don't know, it was the only way I could approach it was just being honest about it. But I've really fallen in love with it, and it's evolving. You know, there's still... Right. My my technical understanding of the game is evolving, (laughs) but I'm nowhere, anywhere near where I would want to be. and then just the it's a complex animal to really get your arms around when you get into global football right it's and when you speak about a when you speak about football here in america i think you could describe it much the same way you just described yourself it's something that is developing has great texture but is still not where it wants to be you know in in the macro level and so your personal understanding of the game you kind of get to grow in this position alongside the game here yeah. in America itself. And that's something that's unique, an opportunity that's unique unique to this sport specifically. There's no other sport that you could get into, hockey, football, basketball, baseball, where that's the case. They're all you know, firmly entrenched in our society and our culture where football... I don't know if you're going to throw hockey in there like it's fucking entrenched, but right. yeah. In his pockets, in his pockets, for sure. It, it has huge Take that pockets. shit to Colorado or something. I don't know Come where you've been. <laughs> where my devil fans at? Let's go. Like, Eddie, you're barely a devil's fan. Slim, Slim's the type of guy to say that the Knicks aren't, like, a gift. The Knicks are trash. We're suffering with this. The Knicks are garbage. You guys are almost garbage for, like, this lack of culture and understanding. This is a fact. I you guys. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but you must be enjoying that part of the ride and where these, where the league's at, where you're at, because you just, you and John and who else was on that, that you guys all renewed, you guys are going to... And Larry. Party. And Larry, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, we, forgetting you, you Larry. <laughs> <laughs> of course I forget Larry. Um, you, you think we made the right move there with Larry? I, I, I think you made a great move. Larry. Okay. Yeah, guys, Larry's okay. great. Okay, good. We Part of Dewey's whole LAFC don't fuck it up is for you guys to extend it. So yeah. I just, it's I just wonder thing. sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, Larry. Love hey, you. Hey, hey, you, hey, You guys up there in the office are similar to the guys down on the field. 
it's a the turnover rate is really not that high with LAFC. You work to bring back similar rosters because Bob is ingraining all of these football ideas in these guys and investing in these guys, and it almost doesn't benefit him to have a high turnover, to have to start from scratch season in and season out. Yeah. Same concept, especially when you're working from scratch with something and finding early success. I mean, the adage is simple. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but you got to get better. So part of that is hiring people that are capable of and willing to do the work and improve. Some of that's in youth on the on the pitch. So our investment in younger players that are going to get better, yeah. you see John's commitment to that, and you see Bob and his staff's ability to coach these guys up. And even a player like Jordan Harvey at the end of his career improved and got better and had sort of career years and everybody in between so our whole goal is to have sustainable success Mm. and that's hard to do and you need continuity to do it so we've tried to have as much continuity in the front office as possible Mm -hmm. you know and Brandon community all those folks there's, there's a higher turn rate in sports than what we've had because um Everybody's so committed to the cause and been part of this mission and so driven. Mm. And that's the goal. That's all we want in something we're affiliated with. We want a purpose. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so those aren't just words. That's how you try to live. So in the front office, we try to create that, an identity. We're all part of something that's bigger than ourselves, and we matter. And then on the pitch... There's that element, plus there's just having talent that's capable of and willing to grow. Well, I think with that, maybe we'll take our our first little break here and get back with Tom in just a second. Yep. Back here with FCFC Pot, here with Tom Penn, president of LAFC. <laughs> <laughs> the radio voice is up. I'm trying. I'm trying real hard, guys. That was the Don Draper voice. Straight Don here. Draper this year. I'm That's the vibes here. this season. Less cigarettes, hopefully. He, he let the Lee Wynn hair go with Lee Wynn, and so it's just the whole, I miss you, Lee. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I'm angry at Lee. I'm, 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 I'm missing Lee. He's getting a Lee. nice he's tan getting... in Miami, man. He's, got, he's loving it. I'm sure he's loving <laughs> it. Stick to the beach, Lee. That's right. Stick to the beach. Out the clubs, but I think um, you know you talked about growing in this game and your your love for the game and having you know having a, a real presence in in football culture. But I feel like even in the State of the Union address that you gave with with Max, which I teared up the entire time through, it was beautiful. Thank you, Tom, for for providing us that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, it was incredible. Sorry, it was incredible. Yeah, not you, Max. It was you all teared Tom. up. Yeah, I just, straight up. I texted my guys like, I'm 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 tearing up right well, now. What mm-hmm. what way did you tear up? Just um, when you were talking about how much we achieved this season, and then you know the highlight, the highlight reel that was cut up, and just seeing every remembering re remembering everything i think it was really important you know and then yeah you as someone who's you know who says you're going in the game i think the first thing i remember the the biggest thing i remember is the importance you place on the supporter shield and how lafc does it different when we think we even talked about it prior to this about you know what can we do with this thing that can enhance this game in america 
And what you said was that I think everyone should treat the supporter shield and how important that is in the ceremony of it as important as we did in in, in that. So in in that in the process of um, decision making of what you want to do around it, because I think Rich and Larry spilled some details about like on the day of your there's a lot of lot of spirits flowing in the air, you know. But was it always an important thing for you to celebrate with the supporters? And to have that, have them be a part of it in the locker room, have the shield be really um, a presence with uh, important presence for the team. So the first question in that was whether soccer ops, football operations, John and Bob would comfortable celebrating it, and how much. Yeah, I didn't know if their approach was going to be the way it is in hockey with the conference championship trophy, where you're not supposed to touch it because the real only thing that matters is the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And John was very clear in terms of saying, hell no, this is a major trophy. This is one of three that we can win. It's a major accomplishment, and we should celebrate it as that. Mm. So he gave us the permission to do that along with Bob, of course, those mm. two together. Um, and then it was just a matter of what's the appropriate thing to do. Somewhere in this process, that's when I became aware that the MLS didn't own this trophy, (laughs) that it was owned by the Independent Supporters Council, and that was a, that that created then a different engagement and a different scenario, understanding that it, that we didn't, we weren't in control of where the, where the shield was, when it arrived, what could happen with it, you know, you normally would think it'd be easy, you call the league office and say, what do we do? Um... So we for sure would have and wanted to celebrate this with the supporters, Mm -hmm. even if they didn't own it. But the fact that they owned it made it uh, even cooler. Right. So then we got into the mechanics of the negotiation as to what the run of show would be and what would the parade in and out be and... Jimmy and those guys insisted on a red carpet. <laughs> and I'm glad they did because yeah, my idea was worse. You know, that was a better <laughs> what was idea. idea. What was my idea? Yeah. I thought it should come from from the supporter bar down through the supporters out onto the field. I thought a progression that way would be cool. That it was coming right, right. from the 3252 to. So, so you my, mean like my, the, the crowd passing. Not passing, but more like the way they progress the Super Bowl trophy where they walk in with it and everybody touches it on the way in. I would have preferred Ollie to just fly with it for (laughs) for a couple hundred meters. You would have needed all four Falcons for that. It's heavy. The whole fleet, right, yeah. I thought the way it was handled was great. It was perfect. The way way it all unfolded that whole evening. That was a much better idea. And it it gave it the gravitas that it warranted. Mm. But I will say, going forward, some things should change because in order for this to become a tradition at other clubs there's got to be some give take so for example it worked because we knew we were going to win the shield and they were willing to send it to us so that it was here but if this doesn't happen until decision day Mm -hmm. you almost have to have multiple replicas of the shield so that whoever wins it can have their shield moment Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times you can't even have your shield moment because you're not even sure if and when you're going to win it. Right, right, right. Um, NYCFC made the race somewhat interesting there towards the end, right? Yeah. It gave it a moment, right? It gave it a, and we were the at drama. the time faltering, and were we going to you know, cave, all those sorts of 
fears and feelings that were out there. Uh, Did that, that we, create any type of like a contingency plan within those moments? It didn't for us with the regard to the shield because we knew we were still going to, we, we were highly likely to win it and we were now lined up to win it at home. Okay. But back before that, there was this chance that we would win it on the road. Mm. And then it was like, okay, if we win it on the road, how do we have a shield moment? When's the appropriate time to do that? Yeah. And we didn't feel like it was appropriate to do it before the next game because mm-hmm. the players are warming up and focused. And we were chasing the record and everything else. So we thought we, in that case, if we had won it on the road, we would have come back and probably done a special event at the bank. You'd have waited to be back at home. We would have done it like if we were going to play the next game on Sunday or whatever it was. We would have done an event on Friday night with the supporters to celebrate. Right. Because storybook ending is complicated, right? To have it just be yeah. the, the game you win. But oh. there's a real logistical problem because there's only one shield. You can't duplicate it in any way. You know, it goes from supporter group to supporter group. Yeah. It, it's it's sort of. But, and now there's a there is a new added layer of complication for the shield going forward because this season there's three teams that every team doesn't play sure so now it gets it gets weirder in terms of like not the shield's legitimacy obviously you know you Mm. finish top of the league you finish top of the league but the further and further it gets away from what is traditionally in world football home and away lakes at the end of the year everyone's played everyone in every kind of context here's the winner like easy breezy right you can now win the shield not you will win the shield, whoever wins the shield, not seeing every team in the league. And so depending on who those teams are. Yeah, but to Tom's point, I think, like, if something, now's the moment to make it matter, Yeah. in other words. Because if, if you fast forward three years and there's several more teams and maybe there's five teams per year that a team doesn't play or however they're going to do the scheduling in the future, it's going to be harder to drum up, like, support to make the shield what it is. Yeah, well, there's, it's, there's already for a long time there's been imbalance in the schedule because you play your conference team twice and the opposing teams once Mm -hmm. in the Eastern Conference right or vice versa so there's always the argument that the shield isn't the shield because everybody plays an imbalanced schedule and if one conference was harder than the other you're right it's getting further away now that we it's further imbalanced because you don't play every team but but I guess in terms of college sports I mean you know, so many teams don't play all the teams, right? And isn't yeah, for a while play the ones that matter. For a while, wasn't there before like the playoff system? Wasn't there just some like? It was an arbitrary selection, bowl game to bowl game. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, at the end of the day, I guess they figure out the way to do it. But I do think because of the way the LAFC celebrated it and how much energy there was around it, and I thought that's such a great window into like helping those American fans or American sports fans who don't understand world football to understand that this is part of a continuum. The world celebrates league mm. championships this way. Yes. Finishing the top of the league matters. And, like, if you want to be a global club, you ought to celebrate it in that fashion yeah. and not just adhere to, like, what has traditionally been the case in American sports. Well, I, I would argue that no matter how imbalanced the regular season is, finishing with the most points is a really, really big accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And the supporters' shield is so freaking cool mm. that the lore of that, it's got Stanley Cup-type energy around it if executed right if we mm-hmm. tell the stories more right. mm-hmm. but I think that accomplishment is more is just as impressive as winning a micro playoff tournament at the end of the season single right. elimination where anything can happen right. yeah. which is you well, know, single, our cup. single yeah. elimination for the first time this season yeah. or yeah, last right. season so I mean that one's as flawed it's probably more flawed right. but, but, 
we threw like a kind of an after launch party for the Korean t-shirt collection that came out at Beer Belly in Koreatown and um, Rafa who was a member of the ISC brought the shield there as you know a celebratory event yeah. but it was well how cool is it that the shield just gets passed around exactly I, I mean at some Stanley point we Cup probably just right. need to have the shield live on the podcast honestly yeah, yeah. yeah. whoever see what you haven't yet what's the matter honestly no. Tom yeah, we were no, singing we were singing karaoke and drinking and the shield was in, no, our, no, it's in awesome. our midst and it was I think that's you're talking about the lore of it That that's exactly what it is it's right. the, the supporter shield for a reason is that all supporters look different and the way that we we, we kind of hang out and even drink is, is quite uh, different so we we, we, we do it differently. I would love that element to stay for sure. There's only one shield. I think we should be... I think the supporters council should consider allowing replica shields to stay back in a trophy case. Mm-hmm. You know, with the clubs that have won it. You sound like you've asked that question. Well, not, not directly. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, we, we've, we've brainstormed on different ways that this could... Because Peter Goober's well aware of how to do this. He did this for the Golden Globes. He was Dick Clark Productions' executive chairman. The Golden Globes were owned by the Hollywood Foreign Press, and they were very uh, protective of all their ways and concerned about commercialization. Mm-hmm. And they found a way to make it, to glorify it for what it is, and maintain the integrity of what really mattered to them. And this could easily be done in the same way where it could really benefit the supporters' council. Mm. But it needs to be elevated to where it doesn't have to be explained. Mm. And Because mm. if you're not an avid supporter, the average fan doesn't quite get it or understand it. That's, that's and I think right. the notion of having a trophy case where you say we won the shield in all these years, mm-hmm. that, that matters. Yeah. I think, I mean, I covered music for so long before sports, <laughs> so I always think back to musical comparisons. But sometimes with things like the supporters' shield, it reminds me of, like underground bands. Mm. And when underground bands get big and how people take offense to, you know, certain bands becoming a certain type. Because you feel you have this investment. This is our thing. Like, other mm. people don't get to know about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In some ways, I'm sure that there are segments of supporters who probably feel like, oh, it's better. It's better that it's just us. Mm. And, like, they sort of, in, in that sense, like, are holding the game and the league down a little bit. Yeah. I think people need to get over themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think that when something that you like and it's awesome, gets more popular, it's good. And if you're not okay with that, it's kind of a sign of your inability to like cope with your interest being popularized. I, I don't know if this is a message that. from Dweez, Dweez or Dweez trying to convince himself of this. Hey, I'm because I'm sure Dweez when he sees something turning into a little. I, no, I deal with this. I deal with this more than <laughs> I deal with this more than anyone. Like for so many interests of mine, like right, restaurants. Right. I deliberately don't <laughs> review res- Chinese restaurants in the San Gabriel Valley because it's like if these get too popular. I'm going to have to start waiting to eat this delicious Chongqing hot pot. How, how I feel, so, I feel, you know, I feel and very special that Dweez has brought me to the at least one of the restaurants in question because it means he trusts me with both <laughs> its prominence and his... But it's wow. an, I think it's an existential spot. dilemma is all I'm saying, and I hope that we do as Please. lovers of this sport. Share the joy. Yeah. Share the no, joy. I, I agree. I, I'm trying spicy to... Noodles hey, are amazing. And for Dweez's Chinese re- recommendations, go to our Patreon link and uh, donate $50 a month. The new... A new decade, it's a new dweez. I'm trying to let go of those shackles of youth coolness and Look wanting to share to keep things to myself. I mean, and, you know, what you a revelation! You got ten more days until the metal rat, though. So That's you know, true. work on it. Work on it. <laughs> Very true. I, well, I want to announce that we also did recognize we're recording this on January 15th. That I've now lived in Expo Park for four years. Hey, so, congrats to me. I can't pretend part of that Love wasn't due to Park. LAFC like building like a building that. down the road. Salute. I can't pretend right. that um, the ability to walk to games, whether working or enjoying, 
uh, wasn't part of it, but that's very cool. That was cool. Yes, sure. Let's do it. Um, Tom, in terms of like conversations we've had before, like, and I think Ryan was there for the conversation I'm thinking of, um, you told this really cool story about remembering like your first Portland Timbers game, and I think like you went with your fam. Everybody like was really engaged and like just there and present and really enjoying it. Now having come as far as LAFC has and like we're entering season three here, club's been around for five years now. Um, what do you have as like your current kind of barometer in terms of like get better, like in terms of the experience yeah. getting better? Um, what would you like to see happen going forward in terms of that live match day experience so i thought you were going somewhere else with that i go all over the place (laughs) hold hold on to where you thought he was going we'll go there next (laughs) but in the meantime uh can i flip it let Mm -hmm. me go the other way so the um so i always say that the experience i had at portland when i went with my kids is i'm the enlightened american fan because i had no clue what i was getting into I went to that match. I was completely overwhelmed by the Timbers Army. My kids looked up at me and go, Daddy, this is awesome. And I was like, this is awesome. I had no idea. And the greatest joy for me at LAFC is paying that forward and seeing all the enlightened fans come in. Seeing greater Los Angeles show up in all its various forms. And experience have that same experience i know the exact experience they're having when they walk in and they jaw drops and they go oh my god and they i guarantee you they don't remember i don't remember if the timbers won or lost that game (laughs) and these people that come experience so i know this group you guys are avids and everybody that's listening to this are the avids but if we want to grow the game we got to share it with the people like me Okay, and so it's so it's fun to see Peter yeah, Goober bring his friends and and Larry Berg and Bennett Rosenthal and Brandon Beck, they proudly bring their friends and they have these just incredible experiences, right? It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So so that's takes me back to the story we shared. To your question about how we want to get better. Yes. In every way we want to get better. I mean significantly better. So my mind jumps to a lot of our, the business metrics that we have because when we built this club, we put a business plan together and we talked about a certain level of sponsorship and a certain level of extra added concerts and events and a certain level of uh, engagement with season ticket holders and so on and so forth, all those sort of benchmark things. You know, we're going to exceed all of those in this next year and we're going to see exponential growth in a lot of ways in the commercial side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, two of the most important aspects of the business are already thriving. So this is harder to say that we're going to have a boom. It's harder to say that the team is going to really, really exponentially improve, right? Because they could be one year ahead of schedule that way. Yeah. And the same for the 3252. You could just say that group couldn't get any better. Bullshit. Both groups can get significantly better. They can do more of what they do in better ways. Mm -hmm. I've talked to Bob and John about this. I mean, it's always hard to put
put that kind of pressure on the team, but I think our team is worthy of 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 this and wants to incrementally improve. Um, when you have young players, the best part about young players is they get better. Mm-hmm. You know, versus guys in their prime or on the downside, that's what you got. It's yeah. going to get worse. They get mm-hmm. hurt. So in this particular case, we should have ascending talent, and then the thirty-two fifty-two should continue to ascend in the way they perform the, the tif- quality of the TFOs, mm-hmm. most importantly for all of us, our impact in the community. Mm-hmm. So that's the final part of it, is being a true force for good um, in a much more impactful way. And the 3252 is doing that in their own way. Our club's doing it in our way. I won't say our club, our, our organization. Mm-hmm. So then the bigger club doing that together, we got a long way to go to where we really can impact the city. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your call to action. Get better. Do better. If you don't, you ain't shit. Comes from our president. Look, it's why it's why we're here. Yeah. You must grow. You must evolve. If you're not growing, you're dying. It's a fundamental truth. Ooh. It's true of companies, it's true of people. You got to learn, you got to grow, you got to develop. It doesn't change. I'm 52 years old. When I was 51 years old and had built LAFC and was at the peak of my professional career, I was unhappy. I was at the games. I was unfulfilled. I had stopped growing and evolving. We have an owner named Tony Robbins. (laughs) I went to Tony's event. He's unlocked and unleashed a whole new part of my personal development. So everybody needs to continue on their own personal journey. And guess what, guys? It never stops. So what you're saying is that you're in the process of setting up a 3252 Tony Robbins conference oh. to get us remotivated. Wow. <laughs> if we put those two together, the Ooh. whole world might explode. <laughs> you put him on the field, you can fill only the North End. Yeah, I'm taking and notes. <laughs> Wow, you've, you've unleashed a secret weapon on the rest Ooh. of the league. But I want to take it back to what you just said, talking about a year ago, your personal pinnacle. At the end of season one, and I'm genuinely curious as to if you remember this or not. Okay. But at the end of season one, the elimination against Real Salt Lake, I found you on the sunset deck. And I've seen you up there many times. You, you can be described as A, if not the life of the party. But on this particular night, you were somber, you were to yourself. And I found you, I think, in a moment of introspection. And I didn't want to get too much into your way. But I patted you on the shoulder and said, I just left Bob's press conference. And the main takeaway from it was that this is not a one-year project. Mm-hmm. And your face changed. Hmm. And you thanked me in a way that I'm sure you're very good at thanking anyone who would be in that situation. But I genuinely saw a change in you. And to hear you say now that you were at the pinnacle of your professional career in that moment, but you weren't fulfilled, and to say that you have since found another gear, you know, via Tony Robbins or not, I find very interesting. Mm. Simply because in what... LAFC could have taken as a pinnacle moment. You know, they were the best expansion team ever. But then they came back and became the best regular season team ever, right? And now 
you know, failures in the postseason or not, a step forward has been taken that maybe the team didn't realize it had in that moment when I first spoke to you. And now I think both you and LAFC are looking for a gear past what you have now. Do you, I mean, the the first obvious question is, do you remember that or not? Because <laughs> I hope you do. Yeah. But if, even if not, the correlation between what you've said and now what I reminded you of, how does... I mean, how, how, how does it impact you knowing that you your personal growth correlates so closely with the team that you bought all into? Yeah, so I do remember that moment. Um, I appreciate that. And you have that ability to light people up. You can do it with anybody. Um, any, you can, and it was cool. And thank you for that. Um, Cheers. When I talked about... Uh, the pinnacle or whatever. I, I probably shouldn't have used that word, but... Careful what, what, with me. <laughs> what, I, what I personally... So, you just took to a more reactive moment of an emotional loss, okay? What I experienced after the building was open and it was full and our team was great, good to great, and I, but I was having trouble finding my own personal joy in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that was because it always works that way. You, We... we, we we build a mountain and then we climbed it and then you got to the top of the mountain and it's just unfulfilling. It only lasts yeah. so long. You, yeah. you know, you're going to get upset at the Clippers here soon. You're going to be like, man, <laughs> yeah. I want to be here my whole life. And now it's like, you know, it's just human nature. He's a right? Knicks fan. Nothing can bring him down. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so it's all about growth and then it's all about contribution and giving back. Those are the two human needs that if you can find those two, that's the key, the secret. Um, with regard to our club and our team, um, there's no problem challenging everybody internally to get better and to grow. And there's no problem. We, we all must understand we have another gear and we can get better. Hmm. And for sure, we all can get better in giving back more and having mm-hmm. more of an impact. Because as the team performs and as our club gets its stature in the community, then the opportunity is there to do a lot more with it. And that is an endless, there's no ceiling on that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're with two very seasoned supporters, support, supporter leaders right here with Slim <laughs> and Josh. Um, I'm curious to know from you guys' perspective, like, how you think the 3252 can reach that next gear, or if, like, that's been kind of like a resounding call in this offseason, because I imagine, you know, consistently, didn't, didn't 3252 you know, get awards this year. The, the front office who deals with the 3252 got that award. I know Pat and the community side. Um, how how do you guys, or are you guys talking in these same terms like Tom is? I'm curious to know. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're constantly trying to be better. I mean, a lot of that comes with being organized, you know, getting your schedule together and, you know, whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, I mean, just like, just like the, the front office daily working hard we we come together with our groups come together with our ideas how we want to organize then we come together once a month to put all those ideas out on the table um yeah it never stops <laughs> like off season is a very short season for us yeah. um but we we fall in love with this club over and over again all the time I, and i think as hard of a job as 
people like Tom and Rich and Larry and Chi and Casey and all these people have, they have something that's pretty amazing is that when it comes to a job, you have to re-motivate yourself all the time. Mm-hmm. And every time you step into the g- bank on match day and you you see, you know, Blessing running around doing everything he's doing, Vela with that left curler, whatever you you get remotivated and you fall in love with it all over again all the time and that's probably the saving grace of everything from the front office to to the players to the the supporters is we we built something enough where every time we go experience what's been built we get remotivated to yeah. Yeah, to better reminded. ourselves yeah. for it you know what i mean so it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a system that's been built perfectly to to continue to grow to continue to you know find that next gear as as Tony Robbins and, and and Tom were saying. Tony via Tom. Yeah, you know what I mean. Don't don't downshift too hard. You might fuck up your <laughs> transmission. Right? Your transmission, but you know what I mean. But Get in terms of the right. transmission, I mean, it's like you're saying that the external experience like helps you remotivate internally. Yeah, well, and like I, I compare it a lot because I come from a sales background. Is like. You, you motivate yourself to get out there and meet these people and sell this shit. And then when your commission check comes in, that's the motivation. Mm. And every match day is that commission check for us. We're like, boom, pay it out. It pay works. Me out. So, yeah. so I would argue that uh, what you're really motivated by is delivering value. You guys are motivated by, you know, you're delivering so much value to the people that are in the brotherhood that you have, mm-hmm. the sisterhood that you've built mm-hmm. to each other, mm-hmm. and you're built, you're you're delivering such value to the broader audience, and now such value to Greater Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. We're this example of how you can come together and unite. Exactly. Yeah, that's what drives people. Yeah, is the ability to give value to others. Yeah, and I mean it's something that I've said probably 10, 15, 20 times on this podcast that. It's, it's exactly along those lines. The best thing about LAFC is that it's it gives us the ability to meet the neighbors that were right That's there. Cool. Yeah. And you know what I mean? The walls are broken down through the power of football. That's I, cool. I think it's so powerful that I think you're standing for, you know, being a force for good as such a big proponent of what we're doing as LAFC. And I think we're parallel pathing that with the 3252 in that we've never waited for... I think the permission is interesting, but like we've never waited for LAFC to throw a charity event, although we will show up and we will help out the community. But LAFC is almost, you know, that Dewey says all the time, the Trojan horse for us to be like, hey, we're part of this soccer club right now. Can we all get together and help out the youth of our of Koreatown, help out the homeless people in Koreatown, you know? And so like that in itself has become this rallying point of people who have all... Um, kind of found, you know, have really fit a need in a lot of places, right? I think a lot of the people who found LAFC first or, you know, continue to find LAFC are the people who who saw a need in the community and who saw this club as an answer to that, right? And yeah. so they continue to do that in, 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 in that and um, once they get the okay on how awesome it is and it's legitimate, then we can go on and say, like, I've wanted to help my community my entire life. Like mm-hmm. now, I have the I have the family to do so, right? Mm-hmm. And to have, be backed by a club who has that as you know as a mission, you know, as a, as a core mission of it is is the ultimate, you know, is is the ultimate bonus. But at the same time, like it's the uniting factor. And at the same time, I think what's what's powerful about it is that we are going to be doing this thing regardless if the club was in it or not. It just happens to be that they are so in it. So how do we help each other in that, right? Yeah. And I think that's been a really cool part about for at least our supporter group culture. Right? 
thank you guys for for that debriefing. No, I'm just kidding. I think it's great. I no, you know me. Amazing. I live in this neighborhood. I talk to my neighbors all the time about LAFC. Four years at Park, Street. baby. Dweez, let's go. Hey, one of the kids that used to trick or treat here got yeah. a job at the field. Really? Let's go. Yeah. One of the guys that came here used to trick or treat, got a job at the fields. One day I was in there and I saw him, and he's like, "Hey, you live in the corner house, right?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's me." He's, he's like, probably the one that stole your flag, bro. <laughs> I had two LAFC flags stolen from the front. Yeah. Wait, the second one was stolen too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shout that's out why I keep Pop. the flag in the back now. It takes too long to make those. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's why this flag is because the second one was taken as well. This is the third flag. Yeah. But this was hand painted. This, this was one was hand painted, so I'm not risking. <laughs> it's the ultimate compliment. Let's yeah. go. That's true. And, but no, people around here, and and you see the hats. Like underrated best experience in LAFC is bringing someone who's never been to a football game. Oh, yeah. Right. And you touched on it, that before. I just right? said it was my thing. Yeah. I, no. But even as someone who isn't loves it the game, so fun. It's just, so fun. I'm obsessed with the sport, but I have plenty of friends who know nothing about it. Yep. So. Bring them with you one day. Totally agree, dude. And it's in fact, wild. it's a big initiative of ours this year. We're calling it Share the Joy. So it's a big strategic initiative of the club to get everybody to embrace the idea of doing what you just said. Just go share the joy Mm -hmm. with everybody Mm. and then and open up the tent wider and let more people experience it. Yep. Because so it's... you're saying you're expanding the stadium? Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's true. So it's the joy good. is getting wider. It's going to be those three sections that don't impede the skyline. No, no, yeah, no, no, it'll be the last not, one to fall. No, we're never impeding the skyline. No, that's awesome. I think I, I genuinely... Why, do you, why do you say that, though? Because I'm curious your personal experience with that. Well, I, I exist in a weird place in LAFC. Uh, <laughs> as someone who's been on the media side, who's written things for LAFC. Soon-to-be supporter. Who's probably going to end up joining a supporters group? Gang, 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 gang. Um, because of the time. it's just I see all sides of it, and the hilarious thing is all sides are all kind of part of the same unit, as, mm. as separate as people think they are. They're really not. Mm. And people like Pat and people, everyone who's coming to the backyard, Tom included, like they can come and hang out and talk about the same things, and we're all sort of in line with the sort of you know things we want. Some of which we've already discussed tonight, but for me, I have friends who've just never, whether they're not sports people whether they're from the music, more music part of my life, or from another country. Um, And I've had, obviously, opportunities to bring the folks into LAFC who love the game but weren't into MLS. Mm. That that was kind of the first layer. But then plenty of people come to LA all the time, visitors from somewhere else coming from out of town. Hey, what are you up to this weekend? Just so happens to be a match. I might be working the match. I might not be working the match. But, hey, why don't you use my tickets? I have tickets in the North End, Mm -hmm. you know, that... I had signed up for like way back in you know December of 2014, whatever, and it's one of my great joys to share that. Probably my favorite person that I've ever shared it with, which I've brought up on this podcast I think once before, is Muhammad, mm-hmm. who's yeah. an Egyptian. Uh, USC pays for security guards in our neighborhood. We're like within the district where events have happened in the past, whatever they afford to, cool. to send out security guards. One of them was this guy named Muhammad. And Muhammad is great because forever I spoke Spanish to Muhammad because I tried to tra- <laughs> practice Spanish. <laughs> I try to practice my Spanish uh, language whenever I can. I have to talk to Edward de Tuesta for half an hour and you know understand his experience in Medellin and talk about you know different things. So you, you know my Spanish is enough. yeah. I just try to keep it going. So I said, "What up?" And he didn't you respond. You said hola. Fool. And then yeah, yeah, okay. I said, I said, ¿qué más? I said, hola, ¿qué más? Like, ¿estás bien o qué? And then, like, it's true. But, no, here's the funny part. He looked at me and just sort of, like, smiled. He's got the best smile in the world. And I was like, uh-oh, so this guy doesn't really like me. This goes on for several weeks. Of and then, weeks. I finally, I was like, look, man, where are you from? 
you know, and he's like, well, I'm, e- I'm from Egypt. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm, I'm like a real, I'm, I'm like a real, like, assumptive, you know, asshole after all. And uh, so we started a rapport. Of the world. We started rapport. This is all before LAFC ever builds a stadium and everything, but we talk about football. I talked, to, you know, I talk to everybody about football. And Bob was the coach of the Egyptian national team. Mm-hmm. So as soon as Bob was announced, I sort of brought it up to him and he brought it up to me and we're talking about Mohamed Salah and like yeah. what he's doing at Liverpool and Bob's talking about how he's texting Mohamed Salah when mm. he gets the new job at LAFC. Mm. We talk about Omar Gabber when he came and so I'm telling Mohamed from like day one like you, you're coming with me to the stadium. Like at some point you're coming. And he's like okay okay he's like one of those guys that doesn't want to take a favor or whatever. It takes me two years and this guy works like he might be working a night. Um, he works like most nights of the week besides actually tonight's Tuesday and Wednesday. Yes, so Tuesdays and Wednesdays, sometimes he has some leniency. And we played... So you get him to a game. Seattle Sounders. In the elimination match. Finally. This year. This This year. My mom couldn't go to the game. She has a front row seat on the south end of the stadium right behind the goal. So what did he say? And so I brought Muhammad, and he just felt so... He was like, am I bad luck? Am I bad luck? The whole time he was just like, is this me? And I was like, no, dude, like... You know, that, that could be the answer. The point, <laughs> no, the point being, like, know. he's dialing his brother, who still lives in Cairo, back home, and you know, follows. I forget which team that they follow. It's probably one of the two big clubs, and talks about his experience of like LFC. And he's like, I had so much fun. Like, That's thank awesome. you so much for letting me go. Um, and I've been like hounding him to go forever. But you know, when you when you have as many good experiences at that stadium, it's impossible not to share it. It's impossible mm-hmm. not to share the joy. But what's interesting is sharing the joy with people who who either wouldn't normally go. Muhammad loves football, but like I've had plenty of people who go who know nothing about yeah, the nothing. sport I, or aren't sports people. I've got one more to to see and raise. I live with three. I have three roommates. One of which is my best friend. One of which is his girlfriend, and another which is the girlfriend's good friend. Right. <laughs> All so, right. So three layer cake. So my roommate's girlfriend doesn't give a shit about soccer, really doesn't give a shit about just the entire institution of world football. Like, it all completely bypasses her. But for her birthday, we're playing this squad, and we have a chance to win this trophy, right? You guys might have heard of it. Yeah. The Supporter Shield. Mm -hmm. Right. Cool. So, for her birthday, I say, all right, look, I know you guys don't care, but I'm going to bring you to the game anyway. (laughs) Obviously, I had things to do after that game ended, but 10 minutes I go down and I spend with them before it all goes crazy, and she just, she can't stop talking about it. Yeah, the, the man. The bank, the 3252, the experience, yeah. the environment, she has no idea what's happening, but she <laughs> has the wherewithal to ask me what happened, because she feels... Like something momentous has occurred good, in her presence. Good, good, good. Cool. It's just that 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 and that's the that type of intuitive shit is really the stuff that really hits home. Beyond the people who come expecting to find something, hoping to find something, aware that there is something to be had in this match. She wasn't any of those things. She was the highest hanging fruit. <laughs> She knew nothing of our league or That's our how pure existence. it is, man. That's how pure it is. That's I'm going to dirty it up real quick. Her. It's the equivalent to the first time you ate some like boiling crab, your first time eating Korean barbecue, 
Or maybe like your first time going to a strip club or something. You just got to tell a friend about it. <laughs> That's the type of experience that this And you're is. just like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what this is, but this is important. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Okay, let's take a quick break. We're going to be back with Tea Time with Dweez. Tea Time. Get a little caffeine in our systems and move on. Welcome back. <laughs> we're with Tom. Tom's been way too kind with his time tonight, and we're going to try to get him out of here in a, at a reasonable hour. But we are... Can you explain to me what's in front of you there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, for the people who are uninitiated in the tea with Dewey's time, I've got myself a gaiwan. Traditional Chinese tea brewing vessel. I got myself a little set of Taiwanese tea tasting cups. Um, and we're going to get to rebrew this tea several times and keep drinking it. It's a Phoenix Oolong, hey. grown from Guangdong Province, right across there from the Pearl River Delta from Hong Kong. If you um, don't know, now you know. People who listen <laughs> to the pod frequently are Still aware that I'm a huge fan of Phoenix Oolongs because they just got, they got a great taste that just keeps going. All right, I got to explain to Tom how this all started. So yeah. before we decided that this was going to be like an interview pod where we had guests and whatnot... A year and maybe a month ago, we got together in Dweez's place to record a podcast just to see, you know, if we could do it. And in one of these break times that we just had, Dweez started weighing out tea leaves on... If you have any drug dealer friends, you know exactly what type of scale I'm talking about. Yeah. Or just explain digital the scale. scales. Just explain this. No, it's a drug dealer scale, and he was fucking weighing tea leaves on it. So, and then we started having tea time, so this became... Right the final segment of all of our podcasts. <laughs> so, that is how so, tea time with Now what you're going to do with this, Tom, is you're actually just going to flip it right over, like so, and then take off the top glass, and this is kind of your smell cup. I feel like it's been a idea. while since we had some Phoenix Oolong. To get an idea of what you're drinking. Oh, wow, he knows the Phoenix. And like fine wines, tea is often treated really? in America as a bagged commodity. Even if you go to the nicest restaurants in LA, oftentimes they'll be like, yeah, you want tea? It's $5. Here's a Lipton bag. Go oh, to hell. So disrespectful. These people are disrespectful as hell. I love how you <laughs> added the go to hell. Hey, what's the most sec what's the most con consumed beverage in the world? Water. What's the second most consumed beverage in the world? Tea. 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 Right. So <laughs> shut up. Drink your water. You're so unenthused. We get it, Dweez. You fucking like tea. <laughs> well, my point is, I'm starting to get hit up a lot by people who listen to the podcast. Questions about tea. So I'm just trying to hit people up. Can this, I just say this tea is delicious? It is. It's amazing. And for people who've never had real tea, like, I would like you to come on the podcast so I can let you know that all the tea... All right, let's not get wet. carried away. We don't want you on the podcast unless you have something interesting to talk about. Like <laughs> Tea? Yeah, I if you like tea, tea maybe. Forever. Like, me and Josh won't be here for that episode, but you can sit here and talk to Dewey's for hours. Fine. Um, glad that Tom loves it. Uh, Rich's mom came and brought me some tea when hey. she came on the podcast. She Rich's mom is the standard. Missy Shout Thelma. out to Thelma. She's not. She's more than Rich's mom. She's Thelma. Amen to that. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Thelma, the standard yeah. for this podcast. And yes, if you sir. ever want to put me in check, just bring Thelma around. She, she puts me in check real quick. So Tom, <laughs> usually on this segment, we kind of just, you know, depart from the usual topics of conversation, talk about whatever it is we want. 
but given the fact that you're such a special guest and we wanted to kind of take it back to the beginning, one thing we kind of skipped today was how you first got involved with LAFC. I know a little bit of the story, but I know some of the listeners yeah. a little would, be, told would me be curious to know you're, an you love sports, you're in the NBA, you're, you're doing all these things, you went on this journey, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have this experience at a Portland Timbers game, and lo and behold, an opportunity comes up to, to maybe work in this sport. So I had the experience at the Portland Timbers game, and then I started a sports summit business that brought together the leaders across all sports, and I got to meet a lot of the folks from Major League Soccer. And what I noticed was that their operators, the guys and their chief business folks, were really, really talented uh-huh. and just working their tails off. And then I got a phone call, or an email rather, from Henry Wynn uh, in December of 2012, where Henry had been to our sports summit in Aspen, which is the sports owner's summit. Mm. He owns a basketball team, as you heard about, in Saigon. So Henry came to the second summit we ever did, and he reached out. He said, hey, man, I met you at the summit. I think it'd be cool to invest in MLS. You know a lot of people. I sat next to Don Garber at that summit. You know, could you reintroduce me to Don, and are you willing to talk about this? So I connected with Henry and found out he was serious, and he had his other partners from Malaysia that were really serious, and those guys were... They actually went to the third summit that summer in Aspen. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that summit, agreed that we wanted to try to go after an MLS team in a big market. Mm-hmm. And so quickly identified L.A. as the opportunity. Looked into buying Chivas USA, but that thing was so broken and so, <laughs> uh, you know, everything had gone wrong. Mm-hmm. So quickly pivoted towards, not quickly, but eventually pivoted towards the idea of buying an expansion team here. And got Peter Goober. You know, we were told we needed local ownership. We needed a local partner, and Peter was the dream local partner. Yeah. And when he said yes, it unlocked uh, all the folks in his network and a lot of our partners that we have, and that's how we got here. I'm curious. You say you would quickly identified Los Angeles as your target, but in this era of expansion, obviously there are so many other viable options. Was it truly only LA or was any other location even discussed in the preliminary stage so these guys lived in Asia and were most interested in a major market that they could fly in and out of so at that time it was New York or Chicago or Los Angeles if you're thinking major global so you didn't view Miami as a major global because at this uh, we're preceding Beckham, Beckham United at this point aren't we I think at the time so in the from the time Henry reached out to me mm-hmm. NYCFC happened yes that was a thing already no no it was when he reached out to me uh, one of our first conversations I said it looks like New York's going to have another team and it's going to be 100 million and then it wasn't long and NYCFC happened for 100 million mm. so I earned some credibility with them because I predicted that correctly so the next big city was Chicago, and Henry went to Northwestern for... Uh, a second market in Chicago? No, it was just the idea of, uh, could we acquire the fire? Gotcha. Oh, wow. okay. oh, but we okay. couldn't. You know, that wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't take long to figure out that there was a second team in Los Angeles, although we didn't know it. That was how bad Chivas USA was. <laughs> 
didn't really know they were in Los Angeles. So a second market for Los Angeles materialized for your ownership group before a refurbishing of Miami. No, Miami had already happened. So Beckham bought Miami before we ever bought L.A. There we go. Now the chronology's established. But Miami, if you're from South America or maybe Europe, it's interesting. If you're from Asia, it's so much harder to get there, and it's not the same. It's not a... Yeah. It's not a massive major market. It is for the Latino or the South American community, but yeah. not for, uh, right? It's right, just right. different. So L.A. was perfect because it was proximate enough. It was easy to get to, business interests here, and Bring the best soccer market in the country. Mm. Better than New York. So it's, it's awesome to hear the beginnings. Um, for those who didn't know, I think, I think it's so cool how the president of our club, came from the background he came from but then saw and was inspired by the sport and maybe we only have a few more minutes left um let's hear a little bit about your favorite experiences thus far i mean you know for me i actually i actually had a a moment at training the other day where i had a little bit of what you felt the other day a little lack of inspiration a little uh, year three here we go Mm -hmm. Little, little bit of that, but every time we sit down on this podcast, I always get a rejolt. I think everyone goes through stages and phases of their life where, even when you do, the, I mean, this is a beyond like a dream situation for me. Are you kidding? I wrote a ten list article of things I wanted LAFC to do, and they did all of them, and now I'm on the hook to get a tattoo. If Rich and Rich will never let me forget that. Do you know about the story, Tom? No, I read it. Yeah. So <laughs> how do you think we got here? I just <laughs> did what he said. How do you think I'm we literally, got I'm literally yes. attached I'm no to this fool. shit because if he gets that tattoo, I have to get so, a tattoo. So look, there's two of us. I mean, it. sometimes when I'm in Amazing. my when I'm in my most teed out moments, Angel. I'm like, wow, did I just like Teed-out. make this up out of thin air, right? And the last two years have been such a like pinch me dream. But because of, I, I don't know, maybe it's almost like that goes on for so long. And then I was at training and I was like completely uninspired. Like it was cool to see Bob, Carlos is back, everyone's back. The best part was seeing the six academy kids that were out there so training hyped. with them. That was awesome. Hey, that is but definitely I was, being underpromoted. I was extremely uninspired. That I is. felt. I had just, I left MLS. I recently had left MLS and I wasn't going to do daily reporting anymore. I'd written the article for LA Mag. That was cool, but they didn't even print my name. They printed the wrong story and they printed my name the wrong way. Let's just say I've had my issues with the traditional journalism outlets. Yeah, I felt a little, a little cashed out, but what I always came back to was like sitting down and doing this podcast because the meeting your neighbors, the talking to people, Mm. to having conversations that are off the script, that Mm -hmm. aren't about what, you know, they should be not interviews meandering conversations um i would say my favorite part about lafc hilariously enough despite how much i love the sport despite how many times i've been to the world cup how many euro tournaments i've been to all the games around the world you know my obsession with the sport is actually like i think my my favorite memories are sitting in the backyard with people yeah tell them what was that tonight's been re-inspiring me already but right. tom i really am curious to hear as we have you briefly um for like yeah some of your favorite memories maybe memories that wouldn't be immediately apparent like opening the stadium these things that everyone we all have memories of but just other moments that might have come up that have been particularly satisfying for you personally oh man there's too many too many different sectors of the project uh the reason i think that you feel what you felt and what you feel now is the camaraderie and the connection that you have with the people in the backyard. 
So for me, what flashes through my brain is the connection with the people that did the work on this. So the connection with our partners, you know, the personal relationship with Peter Guber, with Larry Berg, with Bennett Rosenthal, with Brandon Beck, and so on and so forth. The fact that, that I have a really cool, different kind of relationship, but I have a relationship with Will Ferrell that's real, and Mia Hamm and Nomar, and now Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. All those are just, like, remarkable. So it's about the people, and then you shift to the people that did the work and do the work in the office, mm-hmm. and then the relationships with the guys in the 3252 and the gals, with you guys. It's like... That's the unexpected joy, is the fact that this this sense of true sense of club, <coughs> true sense of a brotherhood, a sisterhood, a connection, where we're doing this together for the right reasons, yeah. and that it matters. So for me, it, it, it there's a, a hundred names I could list, and then I could go to a thousand names, um, and then I could probably go to 20,000 faces. Not maybe not twenty, but ten. Right. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's really all about the people and the various. I mean, yeah. The, so I mean, the crazy thing in essence to me is that everything that you just said is the reason why we've been doing this every week for fifty weeks. Is if you know, like as you know, of supporters, they were here before there was a coach, before there was a player. So we had to fall in love with the community and the people first. Yep. And it was through that love of the community and the people and, you know, the neighbors that we met through this that gave us the inspiration and the idea to do this. And it's it's never about, about football. We don't like to talk about the X's and O's. We don't come here and talk about what players have been signed. We talk about the people that make up this community and the reason why we fell in love with it and yeah. that that's your favorite part of what this club is. It's it's kind of, you know, it's an affirmation in, in my eyes to why we were doing this in, in the first place. It's, it has nothing to do with anything else besides the people and the community that we fell in love with in the first place. For the guests of the honor here, one last, if you want to send out the Ahead of season three, LAFC, one last message you want to send out to supporters and new supporters alike. What's the one thing you'd like to say? Bring it. Let's go. Hey, let's there it go. Is. Back. Short and simple, baby. If our president is refreshed and ready for our next chapter and he's about to stick it into another gear, you better damn believe that every supporter, every fan better be ready for that same shit. And on that note, this has been another episode of the FCFC Pod. Thank y'all for being here with us. We'll see you again next week. Thank you. Peace. FCFC. FC, FC. FCFC. 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 FCFC.